If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. Fires it upfield, caught over the middle, Michael Pittman Jr., there he goes! He's at the 40, he's at the 30, slips out of a tackle, 20, 10, 5, touchdown! Michael Pittman Jr. takes it 75 yards to the house! Big run, angling left, 40, he's at the 30, down the near sideline, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Jonathan Taylor, a 49-yard gallop to Peter. In the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio, let's get the podcast started. The official Colts podcast right here, right now, fresh, and I mean fresh, fresh from New York City. Yeah. Manhattan gal right That's there, right. Lara Overton on Super Bowl weekend. You were out in New York City. I want to hear about that. Hold that thought. We also have J.J. Stankovitz with us, as usual. A great interview we're going to be looking forward to. In a couple of minutes, you can check it out right here. Trevor Sikamuff from Pro Football Focus going to go over a little lay of the land, where we're mm-hmm. at right now for upcom- upcoming combine and a lot of roster questions. Do that with J.J. Stankovitz. I'll get to you in your Super Bowl. I want to know about your, your uh, dietary habits with okay. the family. <laughs> but hold that thought. Because who isn't here for dietary habits? I mean, we're going to talk talk some food it's a super bowl post discussion show whether you like it or not i've got some good stuff to get out there when it comes to the edibles but but not those edibles i'm talking about (laughs) i'm talking about stuff you actually eat but new york city you were hustling you had to get there and you got back in time 48 hours nice um very good friend of mine has a year there uh where he's studying and finishing up a fellowship program so basically all ends in june uh so coordinated with a girlfriend of mine and wanted to figure out some time that we could get out there and so this weekend kind of worked out to do it so flew in on friday afternoon out on sunday afternoon some great dinners spent a lot of time walking around new york city and took some of the most difficult fitness classes like that i have ever experienced because you think about new york and it's fast paced it's intense. That is exactly how the fitness scene is <laughs> as classes, well. Right? Studio called Tone House. Uh, they have a few locations. Were in you Austin, spinning? Texas. Did you spin? I mean, no, a tone. So the theme was per Super Bowl weekend, football themed conditioning. Okay. So we were doing like you know a lot of lateral movement over the barriers, up downs, uh, drop downs. <laughs> yeah. So backpedaling, uh, forward sprints, and you had to backpedal, drop down, like Oklahoma drill. Uh, yeah. Like basically. <laughs> no? Basically. <laughs> yes, as, as, close as, in a circle. as close as I'll ever get to the Oklahoma Trail. But shout out to Natalia, phenomenal instructor. But they have a few locations across the country. So went there and took a class and then took, on Super Bowl morning, a class at Y7 Studio, which is a yoga studio. It was an Usher-themed yoga flow oh, nice. in a really dark room candlelit. Oh, so, you know, like they're getting into doing, yeah. And I'm like, how am I supposed to be in a down dog? I'm like, you know, I want to dance. I want to break out a dance party in the middle of my 25 person yoga class. So nice. it was fun. That was a great one. You were hustling, but you got back for the game really quick. Yeah. P- pizza stew for you and uh, <laughs> no, nothing like that. You know that. what I did do though? Um, so my husband has not been to New York, <laughs> but loves the idea of the New York slice. So typically when I'm in New York, I get a slice and I tell them all about it. We had so much, so many other great food experiences, great things that we did dinner wise, amazing Italian on Friday night, did a place called Mermaid Oyster Bar on Saturday, and then Tavern on the Green before we left. Heard on of Sunday. that. Oh, you know, I mean, Big it's, shot. Yeah. it's an establishment. Um, so I went to 
Uh, there's the One Bite app. If you follow Barstool Sports, this is Portnoy's like app where he rates like pizza places. Spot not far from Central Park where he'd given an 8.1. Francesco's. So I went over and I told the guy, I'm flying home with this pizza. Can you wrap it up for me? <laughs> so we wrapped it up in full. I brought Tucker back a New York slice. That away. For Super Bowl. That is love right there, especially here on (laughs) Valentine's Day week. Yeah. That is love. Good partner you are right there. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. We're going to talk about the game a little bit, but you real quick, you had had a bit of a gathering. Bit of a gathering. Bit of a gathering to watch this. Kids involved in stuff like this. You were in charge there. It was your menu. Is that what? uh, Uh, It was was my wife and I combining combining for it. Pistoles? Uh, Pirellis? Paratellos. Paratellos? No, no. Uh, Buffalo what, Wild no Wings. Buffalo. We, so a couple of years ago, I actually made wings. Yeah, yeah. You know, did the whole thing. Never doing that again. Why, why, was, why? It's a pain in the butt. No, no, no. Who cares so about that? Were they yeah. good? Were they good? Oh, they were good. Well, they were good. So I was like, you know what? I'm going out. Made, made good wings. We're not doing that again. We got Buffalo Wild Wings this year. Solid. Uh, you know, pigs in a blanket, your traditional <laughs> uh, football stuff. But May I of, make a suggestion for next year? Go ahead. Ale Emporium. Oh, those wings. Yeah. Jeez, oh, uh, yeah. you're right. You tuned me into those a year ago or something, and I went, and I'm like, whoa, you're and right on the it's money. it's so efficient with the drive-through carryout that they've got. The operation yeah, is seamless. Well, yeah, we, we might do that. So, so anyway. So I, so I, had, I had a moment, though, yeah. uh, at our Super Bowl party. We had, at one point, we were probably like 30 kids between the ages of two and nine running around our house. And uh, one of them brought this, like, old Colts helmet. Like kind of one that you would have probably wore in like the, you know, the cardiac Colts days in the 90s. Okay. And, you know, we're playing, playing out in the backyard. Put the helmet on. And this kid who's six, great kid, love this kid. But he goes, hey, you look like one of those old players from the 19s. <laughs> from and the 19s. From the 19s. Wow. Yeah, that's where we're at. That's where we're getting yeah. old. From the 19s. Yeah. If you want to feel said. real old. How was the arm that day? Oh, it hurts. Is it? Today, yeah. But that's got to be great. You're the only adult, and you got n- yeah. nine kids around you between well, three and nine years old. It's great. Everybody's yeah. running. And the, the other problem is that in our backyard, we have these, like, window wells to our yep. basement that is a, a bedroom, and uh, footballs kept going down them, so I had to go down the ladder and get them and uh, did a lot of that. Great it's, day, you know, though, right? Oh, yeah, it was a great day. It was a great day. I like it, too, because obviously everybody wants a Saturday Super Bowl, but the 6.30 start, I like it because you anticipate, and then you say, okay, I'm going to sit down finally at this time, and I'm watching everything that they're going to offer for me for the next five hours. Yeah, That's kind of what we did. The problem yeah. was it was such a good game mm-hmm. that I'm just, like, buzzing hey, after. Right. And, and then I, I'm, I'm not going to sleep, so I'm up watching – post-game coverage until 12.30, and then like, i got to go to work exactly. tomorrow. Exactly. Same thing always happened. Larry, I know it happens with you because you're juiced after games, oh, yeah. whether they're live ones you're working at or watching on TV. Um, what a game. Love the game. I, I, I didn't mind the first half because people were figuring each other out on that field. Yep. Loved it. 25-22. Hats off to Stan Smith, not the shoemaker and tennis player, but Stan Smith from Lubbock, <laughs> Texas, who picked the actual score of the game with the Chiefs winning 25-22. A lot of people on social media saw that. And he just kind of scratched his head and he's like, ah, let's go with the Chiefs, 25-22. And he was like the only one my, in my, media to pick the actual uh, score. No, the there's another one. My good friend, uh, Kevin Fishbane, the Illinois Sports Writer of the Year, by the way. Really? The, the Athletic, 25-22 in his Fishbane, predictions. Fishbane, call into the show. How did you come up with these numbers, yeah. odd numbers at 25-22? So, okay, so when I used to be, when I was at NBC and I would do game predictions, I would just pick weird scores. Would you? I would usually go to the Scorigami website and pick right. Scorigami. Every like game, that was like that, my bit. Because like, if you're right about a 23-20 score, no one's thinking you're a genius. Right. But if you're right about 25-22... You're like, oh, oh what is he Look at know? this guy, what a clairvoyant. Exactly. Plus, we've had 
we've had safeties in Super Bowls and stuff like that. I know that is probably a wager out there, a side bet that you could bet the final prediction. But overall, the lead up of the game, we're getting to get to halftime and stuff like this. I loved it. Reba McIntyre was up there. We had Post Malone getting the thing ready. Everybody was fired up. I love the whole day. There's never a bad Super Bowl. People were saying to me like, oh, that first half, it really sucked and this, that or the other. And it's like, I mean, it's the epitome of two great franchises, the best in the business, doing what they can to get over the, the you know, the guy in front of them. I love that. And in the second half, we saw it open up a little bit. But Mahomes, Mahomes, Mahomes. And I'm going to just throw this out there. If he wins next year and he gets the third in a row, <clears throat> he's in the same conversation as Brady, even though he doesn't have the same amount of rings. Right. We're, we're getting there. Like if you look at their side by side comparisons at age 28, mm-hmm. Mahomes has he. But three. No, in a row, no one ever thought. Like when Brady retired, I don't think anyone thought he would be caught. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about like right off the bat, Mahomes, he's got a chance to catch him. That's that is that doesn't that's that's not supposed to happen. Don't you think, too, there is a difference of the fact that Brady did it and he wasn't necessarily chasing someone in such close proximity. Yeah. That now there's almost and. I don't really think that Mahomes feels pressure. At least he he doesn't allude to the fact he does. But now it feels like that this is just interesting because there is someone now so immediately in succession to be on target for that that it seems to me almost daunting that you put that type of expectation that we already immediately switch to, oh, it's a dynasty. Oh, he's going to catch the greatest of all time. Like, that is wild. Like, I, I just feel like... To some degree, I want everyone to almost like chill out and appreciate what Patrick has done and already done and allow him to be who he is for a while before you feel like, oh, now he has to catch. Now that's the next benchmark he has to get to or, oh, this is what he's on pace to do. Appreciate it in the now for what it is. All right. Well, okay. let me let me flip that one, though. Uh, We're talking about Mahomes catching Brady. Should we be talking about Andy Reid catching Don Shula? Andy Reid's at 284. Shula's at 347. What's Belichick at? Belichick is at 333, but he doesn't have a job. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Andy, yeah. Andy Reid, if Andy Reid sticks with Mahomes for the length of that 10-year contract he signed, he could catch Don Shula. He absolutely could. We could, be, we could be talking about Andy Reid as the Two winningest goats. coach yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With, and with Mahomes at yeah. that, uh-huh. they keep winning at the pace. Yeah. And one thing. With as great as Andy Reid is, I mean, we could have a whole episode on that, but can we just give a nod to Steve Spagnuolo oh, and the job that he did throughout goodness. the course of the postseason, especially in that game? I mean, that was mastermind level type of defensive scheme and play calling. To scheme up Chris Jones unblocked on that goal line play where the defender fell down and Ayuk was open in the end zone, Jennings had to step. And he schemed it up so Chris Jones was unblocked <laughs> and uh, Purdy threw incomplete. Right. And then the, the McDuffie blitz, was that was one of my favorite play calls of the game because McDuffie, you look at it, the last second he kind of rocks back like, yeah, he's probably not going to come. And then just right through that gap, bats the pass down. That, if that pass isn't batted down, San Francisco might win the game. Right, right. Uh, there, was a, there was a few of those. There, yeah. there's, a, there's a case to be made that after drafting Patrick Mahomes – Angie Reid hiring Steve Spagnuolo was the most important thing sure. that the Chiefs have done in the last 
eight years. And they're getting the accolades. And let's not forget why we're there. Back to Mahomes. I'm sorry, but Rasheed Rice, I know a high draft choice. McCole Hardman being the hero of the game, getting cut mid or mid-season and then picked up back by his former team and stuff like that. Like you and I and Lara and stuff, anytime there's a transaction, hey, did you see McCole Hardman? Yeah. yeah he went with the, so I know, I don't remember it vividly, but I know we talked about it. How would it have been three months ago if we would have said, hey, by the way, he's mm-hmm. going to catch the winning touchdown. Yeah, while and he's on it. the Jets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. He's going to catch gonna, the winning touchdown. Exactly. The walk-off touchdown on the Super Bowl. This league, incredible. But anyway, I, I thought it was a great show. Love the post-game coverage and stuff like this. What do you think about, I want both of your opinions on this because we always dissect the announcers of the game. Nance is Nance. I mean, Nance sets a, sets a standard as far as play-by-play callers go. I was just talking with our own Matt Taylor about that. Like, how good is Nance? You know, mm-hmm. and he's like, well, he's so good that you can have a guy in there that's terrible at doing color or a guy that's a Hall of Famer at color and you'll never know the difference yeah. with the likes of Jim Nance there. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. So I, what, what I, do you think? I thought, I, so Romo's going to be a flashpoint. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, like, I tweeted after the game, like, yeah, he was pretty good. And then I kind of went back and watched some stuff. And I was like, you know what? He probably, you probably didn't need to talk over the, you know, break down the game winning touchdown. Sure. You can do that later. Let the moment speak for itself. Which he did later, too. Which, which he, he did. Which he did later, but yeah. I agree but with I, you. I Lara, thought, I thought, same thing Larry and I were saying yesterday. He did it twice. He didn't have to do it the first the, time. The most important thing to me that Tony Romo did was answer the question as mm. the clock's ticking down in overtime of what happens. Because we've never seen that before. And it's like, okay, wait, do they flip the field? Right, does like, right, right. Does overtime end and yeah. the Niners win? Like, does Casey <clears throat> have to get in the end zone now? Like, And the way that he explained that of just like, on the money, okay, great. Now we all know. That's the that's the type of stuff I want out of the guy doing color, and I thought that was that was a good moment. Also, is it the most Tom Brady of all Tom Brady things that the first year that he is announcing a that he first year he's a broadcaster in the NFL he'll call a Super Bowl? Oh, we did know that. Fox has the probably broad- intentional. Fox has the broadcast next yeah, year. Yeah, that was probably intentional. Well, he's got a few games under his belt. He better get a few games under his belt. Get him oiled he up. He said, and ready for I, that. I read an article, though, where he said he'd already kind of been doing mock games with like Kevin Burkhart and things working hey, on that. But like, come on. We, like, it, it, you know? It's Tom Brady. He's not going to, you know, you know, go but into still, this without your first full year, effort. Your first year. Is that, I mean, it's just kind of wild, yeah. right? It's like, yeah. We're going to get to Freeney. We're going to get to Reggie Wayne Hall of Fame and stuff. But I want to stick with that that game. One more last thought. Um, Shanahan, am I wrong in saying this? Not getting his team, and that includes coaching staff, prepared for overtime and a new overtime set of rules where on the flip side, Andy Reid had his players talking about it. Yeah, they went over it in training camp as far as stuff goes. Did that affect you at anything when it comes into Kyle Shanahan and I having the team ready? I think there were so many things that happened prior to... People were confused, that, man, on that field and watching from well, you know, okay. all over the all right. world. So Also, the guy who caught the game-winning touchdown, mm-hmm. McCall Hardman, didn't know the game was over. Good point. So, okay. Good point. You, I, I think it's more the strategy. And, you know, listening to some analytics folks talk about it, they're, they're kind of split on it, where Shanahan's thought was you take the ball first, so if they then match it, mm-hmm. then you have the sudden death mm-hmm. possession. Mm-hmm. Andy Reid's thought was, we're going to take it second, and if they score a touchdown, we're going for two. Right. And can you mm. can you imagine, though? Is that true, though? Is that I true? I think that's true. You think it's true? Because, okay, think, I mean, think about it this way. That defense is playing great. Yeah. But are you going to want the Super Bowl to end with Patrick Mahomes on the field or not? I'm probably going to want it to end with. I Mahomes see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Although, Rather, if if it's if it's um, Harrison Butker, which is with as good as he was wow. this year, that's a pretty good second. I'm still option. taking. I mean, I'm still taking Mahomes, Mahomes over a kicker. I mean, yeah. but, uh, but I mean, he's, but he's not just 
a kicker. I mean, he is like, look at what that guy did this year. I mean, they were rattling off the stats over yeah, the course I mean, of the broadcast. The, you had like Jay Feely, yeah. who I think, too, oh, by the way, Harrison Feely Bucker. is phenomenal. Like, as he provides such great perspective, especially with as many kind of imperative special teams, uh, transaction, um, you know, kind of um, things that went on in the, over the course of that game. Like, I just thought he was fantastic. Harrison Bucker, by the way, uh, won me my fantasy league. There you Connor go. behind the camera <laughs> lost our uh, fantasy championship. I was wondering why Connor uh, just ripped off his headset. Yeah. Okay, uh, now I understand. Connor shooting it is getting roasted over here because Harrison Bucker against the uh, Bengals mm-hmm. in our kind of like, you know, for fun fantasy league, he had like six field goals in that game and I came back to win, so sorry. You beat sorry, Connor. Connor. You beat Connor in that. Okay, I what does the loser of that league have to do? Is there anything gregarious that they have to do? They no, have to go to a Dairy King no, drive-thru no. I think on I, a scooter no, or something? That's, or? I think that's silly. Is it? Yeah, I, I'm not think a fan. Think of the Allstate no, commercial? Nothing, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just what? trying to bring up something. You know, <laughs> that would have been funny. That they do. Yeah. Uh, anyway, hey, let's talk some Hall of Fame right now. Love the game. Obviously, no football around for the next couple of, of months, more than a couple of months. But just a friendly reminder, a lot always going on in the Colts house, in the NFL house. The Combine's coming up here in two weeks. All three of us will be down there gathering a bunch of great interviews and information and talking about the prospects that may or may not land right here in Indianapolis. And as always, Colts.com has all the latest information. JJ, you've got a bunch of stuff up there on the uh, on the audio network that we're going to get into in a minute but a more but off season it's not slowing down off season your off season slow down over there lady no thank no, you very I'm doing much other things like she's right already now. right thinking, now like, doing something yeah else, i'm so. like thinking about we've got you know new assistant coaches who are going to be coming yep. in that we've got to we'll start doing interviews it. with and and all of those things i mean last week was huge ramp up to figuring out what was going to happen with hall of fame announcements uh i mean and then yeah it's then you turn the page one more and we're all at combine Ooh, two, we, two weeks from today we're going to be doing the show at the combine that's there wonderful you. let's go can't wait let's go to hall of fame i got two names well actually three in a minute but two for right now dwight freeney you're in congratulations we'll get to freeney you can hear him this week on the colts audio network as well reggie wayne yeah reggie stinking wayne lara hold that thought because i know how you feel about this but jj where are we at with reggie this has been a few years now that he's been eligible and with the likes of larry fitzgerald and steve smith that are knocking on that hall of fame door what's going on with 87 he deserves in a place in canton and i hope it's next year in new orleans that he gets that wish yeah to me reggie wayne is it's such an encapsulation of how flawed this whole process is that you can only have five guys mm-hmm. from the modern era get in every year. So you got 15 finalists, only five can get in. And Peter King wrote in his Football Morning in America column on Monday, he listed off how long each player was discussed and debated. Usually the shorter it is, it, it can kind of work both ways. Good news, right? Shorter sure. is good news. Like Julie, They talked about Julius Peppers for under eight minutes. Like, yep, that guy should be in. Absolutely, 100%. They debated Reggie Wayne, the Hall of Fame Selection Committee, for 37 and a half minutes. That was the longest of any modern era player who was under consideration. And like, what does that say to you, JJ? I don't think that's good. Like, I don't understand how we're having a 37 minute discussion about one of the best receivers in postseason history and one of the most productive receivers in regular season history. If the problem with Reggie Wayne 
is that his quarterback was too good. The other wide receiver on his team it's was ridiculous. too good. What are we doing right, here? Right, right, right. Like and, that's not Reggie. That's not Reggie's fault. And like he said, Reggie, <laughs> like, come on, Reggie on, the, on, on his on his, on his behalf, he said, "Hey, I waited six or seven years to be the number one receiver here in Indiana." And then he was. So I like that, and he was 10, 1,070 receptions, fourteen thousand three hundred forty-five yards, eighty-two touchdowns. What is going on? I mean, Reggie, when you're talking about Larry Fitzgerald's up here though, so I'm saying like he's a walk-in first ballot Hall of Famer in my opinion but Reggie's up there top 10 in all these categories Lara what is going on with this thing is it just the numbers of the year that come up with these eligible players Reggie Wayne has always been in the top five almost of his career and personal statistics I'm sorry but I'm heated about this one of the things that I've talked with Mike Chappell about even you know prior to Reggie being on the ballot this year this is going back years is how much his playoff numbers should speak for themselves Mm -hmm. and put him over the top among all of these other people that you might be debating with. And I'm sorry, I just look at Devin Hester and Andre Johnson getting in ahead of Reggie, and it's head-scratching. It's just, it's how. No offense to either of those guys, both great players. Are those guys superior to Reggie Wayne? So if the Andre Johnson argument to me seems to be he played on teams that didn't have a quarterback, and he was always the number one guy. Boom. And he did, you know, he led the league in receiving. He's a two-time All-Pro. Andre Johnson is a deserving Hall of Famer, absolutely. But it's almost like Reggie's, the success that the Colts had, and well, you know, they got, you know, Hall of Famer at quarterback, a Hall of Famer at running back, a Hall of Famer at wide receiver, and Marvin is being held against him in a way that's just like... It, so if you put That's Reggie, nothing he if had you any flipped control their, if you over. flipped those two guys and Reggie Wayne was on the Texans, mm-hmm. I think he's putting up the same numbers. And Andre Johnson comes here, he's putting up the same numbers. It's like, well, Andre Johnson can't get in. You know, we gotta we gotta get Reggie Wayne in first. Understood. Like yeah. it, circumstances, if you just break off and and remember what Reggie did, and I'm coming from out of town, like I didn't grow up here. Mm-hmm. But I, you knew who Reggie Wayne was. He was always one of the players who you wanted to get on your team in Madden because he's <laughs> right. really good as a kid. And like I, I just don't understand. And then the playoff stuff, like you mentioned, is it a is it Reggie's fault that he just played at a bunch of playoff games? He got the Colts to playoff games. I'm just telling he you, won yeah. a Super Bowl yeah. because he had a 53 yard reception and in it. Like you touchdown. said, it. You I, talked I about it. And the it. first thing you said, you talked about it. He did that with a Hall of Famer uh, over on the other side of him for six, seven years. I mean, that's something that has to be considered as well as postseason statistics as well. But okay, to do but it, okay. So you know? Reggie, after Marvin Harrison retired, right? He averaged 85 catches for 1,100 yards per season. Boom. As the number one wide receiver. He spanned two quarterbacks mm-hmm. in Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. And, okay, after Peyton left, sure, yeah, like he, he had that one really good year in 2012, but he's, in, he's 34 With at a that rookie point. quarterback. With a rookie quarterback who he helped get off the ground and helped mentor and be kind of that, that guiding player to. I, he led the league in receiving the first year after Marvin Harrison retired. Right, right. Get him 1,500 in. 1,500 yards. Get him like, in. If that doesn't tell you how great a player he is, then what does? But like you mentioned, Jeffrey, there's this log jam where Tory Holt, another deserving guy, didn't get a lot of consideration. Now you're looking at, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's a first ballot guy. Steve Smith Jr. is going to be up there. And when does the window open for Reggie Wayne to get in? Peter King, also in that same column, he listed off kind of his like top 12 for right. 2025. Adam Vinatieri was second nice. on his list. That's great. Good. Adam Vinatieri is the greatest kicker of all time. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Reggie Wayne was 12th. 
Oh, out of twelve, yeah. And Peter King does have his pulse on stuff like that. Canton's just not ready for the party. That's right. How about that? But but next year, what a party! Think about it. Reggie goes in with Venetari. Is Venetari? Is Adam Venetari? We're simply guessing here. No insider information or trading. Is he a first ballot? Yeah. I mean, I think what was the debate? You said the very shortest debate was eight minutes. Yeah. I I would imagine the. The conversation for Adam Vinatieri has to go less than that, in my opinion. You'd think, except the Hall of Fame has this like weird gatekeeping thing with specialists where... There's two know, in right now? Is there two? There, there's, there's the kicker. Right. Uh, Stenerud. Uh, the punter. Um, not Ray Guy, but... Not um, Ray Guy, but the other one. Oh, right? gosh. Or is it Ray Guy? Is it Whatever. Ray there, Guy? There's a punter in, and now Devin Hester is in. So you, you're and covered to me, in specials, to, yeah. Right. And to me, like, I am, you know, I grew up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'm probably biased. Devin Hester should have been in before. But you're the, all, you're the all-time leading scorer in the NFL. Like, but well, so Adam Vinatieri is yeah. the greatest kicker in NFL history. He won how many Super Bowls? He should be in the Hall of Fame. First ballot. But the problem... Problems. NFL records for field goals made, postseason points, overtime field goals made, like... In but a, but I feel like I, he should be. He mm-hmm. absolutely should be. But I feel like there's part of me that's like, you know, we'll see this Peter King column a year from today, and it's like Adam Vinatieri, Super 35 minutes of discussion about him. Four. four. The guy like, won four Super Bowls. And like right. one one With two different franchises. It, Adam Vinatieri, the Colts don't win the Super Bowl against the Bears probably without Adam Vinatieri, the way he kicked the, in that game. And how about the Baltimore game while we're right. there? I mean, the one leading up but to I, that. Th- this is, the Hall of Fame should not be limited to five modern era players per year. The, if they're deserving, the, get them in regardless of, hey, my, some so, years it's nine, other years it's three. That's what, so the, the things that the NFL Hall of Fame does well, mm-hmm. I think their selection committee is a good idea where you draw from writers, you draw from current Hall of Famers, coaches, executives, you get them all together in a room and it's a good mix of opinions. The thing the baseball Hall of Fame gets wrong is they have this like huge baseball writers selection committee that anyone who's been in the BBWAA for 10 years Gets, gets a, a Hall of Fame vote. Yep. But if you covered the Detroit Tigers for 10 years and then you went to go work for Golf Digest, you still have a vote. And it's like, okay, you're not even having active people right, right. who cover you baseball. St- They've tried you. to like, but it, that part of it is flawed. The thing that the Baseball Hall of Fame gets right is you get up to 10 choices on your ballot. You can have a Hall of Fame class that is 10 people, theoretically. Some years it'll be that. Some years it'll be one or two. This year, I think it's three. Mm-hmm. Because there are three deserving people to get in. It, this You look at this, and it's like, you sh- this should be eight people. Right. But now there's this log jam. You should honestly have like a 15-person hey, class. Getting, I, we're you know. we're going to get back to that log uh, jam. Another Colts great, Robert Mathis, is going to be up for induction into the Hall of Fame with similar statistics as Dwight Freeney. A good seg- Dwight Freeney, good segue there, because I want to talk about him briefly and what he did. What, in your, you've been around here forever. You haven't. What's your biggest memory of Freeney outside of the spin move? That's off the field and in the locker room and on the playing field. Oh, my God. It's the presence. Right. It's that like he's a guy you feel even before you see him. Like if you're on the field, if you're in the locker room, practice field, wherever you were, like like you knew when Dwight Freedy entered the room, the energy shifts, it's the presence, it's the dynamic. It's like that everyone elevates a little bit. Right. Like when he when he when you're around him, I feel like that that is that influence he had across that defense, um, kind of with the attitude that he and in compliment to that Robert brought yeah. um, for all of the attention 
that was on the offense in that era, and rightfully so, Dwight Freeney made the case that everyone started to take notice of the defense finally. And that unit got the respect and the admiration and the recognition that they deserve for how much of the success that continued in sustained success across that decade, yes, was awesome with with Peyton and Marvin and Reggie and Dallas and you know, everybody who was a part of that, Edrin, whatever, Joseph Adai. But how can you not? That's where I feel like Dwight was the driving force behind making sure from a national perspective. Locally, I think a lot of people loved the attitude of that defense and they respected it. From a national perspective, that defense was never going to get its due without Dwight Freeney and kind of bringing a level of swagger. And I mean that in like a, you know, a very like just he had that kind of bravado, right? You took notice. He made everybody look again and um, just really appreciate and respect what that defense was about. Making news at Syracuse University from his second to last year to his last year, he was an undersized guy. Yeah. I mean, this guy was not looked upon by all the NFL, you know, gurus and, and guys that know everything. This is not a guy. Bill Polian, he didn't see that. It took him 11th overall, and the rest is history. He's a presence. I love the fact he went in with Julius Peppers because think about those two dominant guys that are coming from each you know opposite end is a uh you know a, a, a nightmare for any quarterback thinking of those two but i'm glad that he got in with royalty 159 total sacks for peppers 125 and a half for dwight freeney so the mathis discussion will continue venateri's going to be in there next year we all kind of agree on that and knock on wood wherever it's at reggie wayne who's from new orleans goes in there next year as well so anyway i enjoyed the whole thing colt's presence and obviously the dominance uh the decade plus that peyton manning and everyone had um, around him they're not done. More Hall of Fame members are coming. You never know. We might host a Hall of Fame game next year or be in it. We'll see. That's not right. You love that. I mean, that's oh, a that's a you would yeah. love that. That's an extra preseason game for you, an extra <laughs> week of travel for you. Come on, you love that, right? Uh yeah, it cuts the summer short a little bit. Not so I mean, much. hey, it gives it gives uh <laughs> Gives the coaches an extra week to coach, though. That's it. That's so true. That's not a bad thing. Hey, can't wait. And we're already starting to count down. I know with you because we always talk about it. Hey, how many days till training camp yeah. opens up? Lara Overton will be on it and say she'll be at that. Hey, we got 116 days <laughs> before exactly we're right. up at up at training camp. So a lot more to talk about. Again, Colts Audio Network. You can find out the latest of what we're talking about in Colts.com, obviously, all the time. Now time, let's throw to a friend of the show, a guy that you've known a long time from Pro Football Focus. J.J. Stankovitz had a chance to sit down with Trevor Sikama, and here it is. All right, joining me here on the official Colts podcast is Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus. Trevor, I wanted to bring you on just to get kind of a lay of the land of the NFL as we, we kind of digest the Super Bowl, we digest all the food that we ate during the Super Bowl and the outcome <laughs> of that game and just see what, what the NFL landscape looks like as the Colts enter it with you know, a good amount of cap space, a quarterback on a rookie contract and some flexibility that Chris Ballard talked about this team hasn't had in a little bit. So I, I guess just to start off, Trevor, what's the, the big storyline that you think fans here in Indianapolis should know that we will learn kind of how it ends maybe within the next month, the, the next month being kind of the, the middle of that free agency week where, you know, contracts can be executed, but they can be agreed to, beforehand like what's like that that main thing that you think will define the 2024 offseason 
Yeah, as an NFL draft analyst, I'm not just saying this because of my job title, but I think it's really going to be that this draft coming up in 2024 is really good. Uh, and it's really good at the premium positions, quarterback, offensive tackle, pass rushers, wide receivers, lockdown corners. Like it's got it all. I think the top 100 of this draft is going to be littered with future NFL starters and some Pro Bowl players, uh, some all pro players as well. And I think that, you know, to answer your question, what might we learn over the next month? Well, you know, as the combine comes around and we get to see some of these guys, you know, put their athleticism on display for all of us to kind of ooh and ah. When we get to free agency, I think that we're going to see teams be less aggressive than in years past because of how deep and talented this upcoming draft class is. You know, uh, when you talk with general managers, when you talk about team building, I think every team in the NFL wants to be built through the draft, right? It's a healthy way to have a good team. You know, Chris Ballard is somebody who knows that very well. He wants to build his organization through the draft, but you need to supplement some of your needs through free agency. And, you know, part of the draft game is making sure that you don't pigeonhole yourself before the draft even begins. Like, oh, this team wasn't able to get anybody in free agency. Now they have to go this direction. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, if the draft falls a certain way, a guy's falling, you feel like you can't take the chance because you swung and you struck out in free agency. So it's always a marrying of those two parts of the offseason. But there are certainly some years more than others where if the draft class doesn't look as strong, you know, either as a whole or at certain positions, you will see teams bid more or have more of a frenzy when it comes to right. certain players in free agency. And I think certainly guys will garner a lot of money and, and we'll certainly see some big names you know, resign for a lot or maybe move places. But I think as a whole, the depth of major contracts in this upcoming free agency, I think is going to be less than in previous years because a lot of teams are going to say, well, if we don't get this guy. Okay, well, we'll just sign some veteran and, and we can really hit on it within the first three rounds of this draft. So I feel like that's a big storyline that we're going to learn over the next month. I checked out your mock draft you did on PFF.com. Fans, you can go check that out. Uh, which was really interesting to to kind of have all the machinations of the trades in there. But like you said, the premium positions and the one that, you know, a lot of folks here in Indianapolis are fixated on is wide receiver. You got Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze, all going really high in that draft. Where's the, beyond those three guys, when you think about that position uh, and maybe just, you know, pass catchers as a whole, because you had Brock Bowers going down to the Bengals uh, below where the Colts are picking, where does the the drop like how big of a drop off is it from maybe those three guys, maybe if you want to include Bowers in there or not, to that next grouping of players in the draft? Because the Colts picking at 15, you're probably not getting, you know, a Marvin Harrison Jr., a neighbors, and a Dunze, but where's kind of that gap between maybe the next guys in this year's draft? No, this is it's a really good wide receiver class. It really is. Um, of course, at the very top. Those three guys that you mentioned, their household names already at this point for a reason. You know, I kind of feel bad for Malik Neighbors and Romo Dunze because basically in any other receiver class, they'd be wide receiver one. And they're sitting in here with a class of Marvin Harrison Jr. And I think all three of those guys are going to go in the top 10 because of it. And the NFL is really going to gravitate towards offense in this upcoming NFL draft, especially in the top half. But the drop off really, 
I don't mean this as any slight to those guys. It, it, it It's not super steep. You know, you've got guys like uh, Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU, Troy Franklin from Oregon, A.D. Mitchell from Texas, Lad McConkey from Georgia, Ricky Pearsall from Florida, uh, Roman Wilson from Michigan. Like, there's, there's a ton of guys, and I'm just rattling off the top of my head, that mm-hmm. could be potential first-round picks as well, depending on what your flavor is, if you want a bigger guy, if you want a shiftier player in the slot, uh, if you want more of a vertical threat player. So there's a lot of wide receivers to choose from in this class. It really is a loaded group this year. And then, you know, if you throw tight ends in, tight ends a little bit of a different story. Uh, Brock Bowers is, to me, the very clear-cut tight end one in this class. He's been one of the best players in all of college football over the last three years. But the gap between him and who I think is going to be the universal tight end two in this class, Jatavian Sanders from Texas, he's a... Big dude, man. I mean, he is, you know, six foot five, 250, 255 pounds, runs extremely well. I mean, he's not just a vertical linear athlete either. Like he can change direction very well. The footwork is very quick. He's a former five-star for a reason because of that athleticism. And honestly, if he was on maybe any other team in the country, I think that we're talking about this guy as an easy first round pick. He just happened to be on a Texas team that had A.D. Mitchell, that had Jonathan Brooks to hand the ball off to, that had Xavier Worthy, that had um, Jordan Whittington. And it was just, there's only one football. So he just really was kind of lower on the pecking order when it came to volume of targets. But I, I think that he could certainly be a back end of the first round, early part of the second round tight end. His talent definitely warrants that. And then you get a pretty big drop off. So I think a lot of people look at Bowers and they say, wow, look at how great Brock Bowers is. And he is. But Jatavian Sanders is also right there. However, the scarcity of that tight end spot might make people draft him in the first round because uh, they don't want to let him get to the second, knowing there's probably a lot of teams at the beginning of the second round that are going to want to do that. And then if you miss out on those two at tight end, then we start talking about, all right, mid round pick guys who are good football players, but, you know, Jaheim Bell. Cade Stover, Ben Sanat, those guys who are probably more third, fourth round picks and aren't these immediate uh, tight end one potential types of players. Usually the teams that are picking in the top 10, we'll call it, you you know, they, they usually need those premium positions, right? They need a quarterback. They need a wide receiver. They need a left tackle, uh, three positions that seem to be pretty deep this year. But if you're you're picking kind of outside of that, would that potentially, you know, say you're talking about this may lead to you know less aggressive spending in free agency. If you're picking outside of that, could that potentially open up a world where wide receiver needy teams that have a top 10 pick say, hey, you know what, maybe we won't go after player X or player Y that then opens it up for those teams in that, you know, 11 to 20 range, like the Colts where you got, you know, a guy on Michael Pittman Jr., whether he, you know, comes back, um, you know, can be kind of a top guy there. But Maybe it opens up, as I'm just kind of thinking aloud here, maybe that opens up more opportunities for veterans to change teams in that group of teams that maybe like just miss the playoffs a little bit, as opposed to teams that are farther away uh, who could say, yeah, we'll just go get, you know, a Dunze uh, with the seventh, eighth overall pick. Yeah, I, I I wonder how it's going to play out. It's going to be interesting. You know, you mentioned a guy like Michael Pittman. You know, T. Higgins is another one that everybody likes to talk about. You know, Mike Evans is a free agent as well. So, I mean, it's just a handful of guys out there that you know are going to command money because they're proven assets. And I do think that uh, that definitely has value. The fact that you have dominated at that level, like th- those three guys have in the NFL, I think there's always going to be a market for it, but it is going to be interesting to see how every team 
plays out like that because you mentioned, okay, well, if you don't get one of those top three guys, if you're not picking in the top 10, but you know, Indianapolis is a team that let's say they bring Pittman back and you got a great star in Josh Downs. Maybe they still even want to add another wide receiver to that mix, get even more weapons for Anthony Richardson. So I think they're in the market. You know, I think about a team specifically like the Buffalo Bills, right? I think the Bills are a team that they are really honing in on wide receiver. They would love to get a wide receiver, but they're picking all the way at the back. 20 they're a back part of the first round and so you know can they can they afford to wait are they going to trade up are they going to spend more money in free agency you know what's going to happen and i think there are a handful of teams where that could be the case ones that are they feel like maybe they're just a wide receiver away and are they going to wait for that in the draft or are they going to spend a little bit more in free agency i think that's going to be a fun question that gets answered over the next month Trevor, we were talking before we started recording, and you were telling me about how you were going to media, you know, media row, radio row at uh, the Super Bowl. What, what's something that you came into or you came out of, you know, those conversations you had with your colleagues, with your friends in media, thinking like, huh, I didn't really think about that, but I now really believe that about whether it's the state of the NFL in 2023, the state of the NFL in 2024. I, I think that, uh, well, one, uh, nobody seemed to want to bend against Kansas City Chiefs and uh, with good reason. So obviously Kansas City wins another championship. Mahomes is on this incredible run. Uh, the dynasty is now in full effect. So I think obviously that was the talk of the town. It being Super Bowl week is essentially how do you beat the Chiefs? But I do wonder if that becomes a, a major theme now that I'm kind of saying it out loud is, you know, we go from this. This, this Tom Brady dynasty over the last 20 years that was just, you always knew he was looming, right? I mean, like 10 Super Bowl appearances in that, you know, 20 plus years of him being a quarterback, it just always felt like it was, it was kind of this story of how do you beat the Patriots every single year? It was these teams devoting all sorts of strategies just to how you beat the Patriots. And I know the culture in a situation with Shane Steichen and certainly with Anthony Richardson as well, where they're developing and drafting and, and putting together a team to compete in the AFC. And, you know, it doesn't look like the chiefs are going to go anywhere, any going, go anywhere anytime soon. So are you going to see these teams really just focus in on, we're putting a group together to be Kansas city. You know, like, is Miami going to do that? Or is Buffalo going to do that? You know, Baltimore kind of did things their way this year, but it didn't end up being good enough. Do they kind of change what their strategy is like? So I wonder if, especially for those AFC teams, if they're watching this Kansas city team, and of course, you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to get carried away with it. But at the end of the day, you know, they're going to be sitting there waiting for you. Like this is the team that you're probably going to have to be to get to where you want to go. And so uh, just with a lot of conversations of of nobody really wanting to bet against the Chiefs, despite how good of a roster that 49ers team was, I just wonder if those conversations just start to get louder and louder if teams going like, okay, yeah, we need this guy. We need this guy. Oh, and he would certainly help us uh, in the chess match against Kansas city. I wonder if that's a little X factor when it comes to who teams end up bringing in. This by the way, is not normal in NFL history to have one dynasty end. And then the next yeah. one begin like a year later, like Tom, yeah. Tom Brady beats Mahomes in 2018, goes on to the super bowl, wins the super bowl. The next year, Mahomes wins his first super bowl. And it's like, all right, well, the dynasty still continues. I, you, you're a Florida guy. So mm -hmm. you had a, a, you know, a, a good look at Anthony Richardson. You're obviously a draft expert. So you had a, an additional, uh, you know, kind of set of eyes almost on Anthony Richardson. I, I'm not going to say, is he the guy who can beat Mahomes? Because that is like, you are so far off in the future on that. That is not even a discussion we need to be having right now. 
But the the little stuff that you saw from him in 2023, in the four games that he played, and following his career at Florida, was there anything that surprised you in how Anthony played with the Colts compared to the prospect that he was and the player that he was at Florida? Yeah, I think when you look at him at Florida, I, I know I'm not really surprising anybody here by saying he was clearly a very, very talented player. He, just the consistency was not there for him yet. You know, he was still figuring it all out. It was his first year as a starter. And I think if there was something that surprised me the most, it's that he really hit the ground running as fast as he did. And I think that's also a nod to the job that Shane Steichen did. You talk about a small sample size. It was just those four games for Richardson. But, you know, I looked at the concepts in the situations that he put Richardson in to truly get the most out of his strengths. And it really felt like Steichen was saying, okay, here we go. Start of your career week one, early parts of it. Like this is the baseline. We're going to, we're going to put together an offense for you that we know gets the most out of your strengths and your athletic gifts right now. A lot of rollout stuff, a lot of play action, moving the offensive line, uh, sale concepts, three layer concepts, whatever it is. Just, just saying like, Hey, you don't got to look at the whole defense. Right. And I, I, you know, people sometimes say water, watering it down, but this is just good coaching. I mean, we, we saw the chiefs win this, the super bowl by doing things like this, you're calling plays and teaching Richardson how to recognize, okay, I really only got to read one defender here. You know, like I got to read one defender, depending on if he's high, low, boom, the ball goes somewhere else. And it's not like he was hearing that for the first time, but to be able to have the success that he did in those early games at the NFL level, I was surprised at just like how good it looked because this is clearly somebody who had all the talent in the world, but I wondered why I I wondered how quickly that was going to come to fruition at the NFL level, because again, one year starter at the college level, you know, it was a, a new coach, a new offense when Billy Napier came in. And so unfamiliarity there as well. So it's just kind of one of those situations where I love the fact that the light came on even quicker. Not that I didn't think that it was possible, mm-hmm. but it, it came on pretty quick. And I think that those were the signs of a really good head coach quarterback connection. The groove those two were already in. Is there a favorite play you have that Anthony Richardson had in 2023, just from what you studied? Because for, Again, me, for I, me, he he ripped this throw to Josh Downs. Uh, I think it was against the Rams in the first half where nothing else is going right. And it was just like right up the seam, right on the money, on a line, mm-hmm. 30 yards. And I was just like, whew, makes you sit up in your seat a little bit. Any Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I I, I go back to, you know, I, I, I said the word sale concept because, again, I, I remember looking at, I can't remember which game it was, but it was a situation where I watched him very confidently call a play action rollout got him into space you get him in, you get him in, a, in an opportunity where okay the line of scrimmage is behind me like blitzers are coming from behind me but i'm athletic enough to, to outrun him to the sideline if i need to if nobody's spying me i can clearly take off and run but you could see him looking at all three levels of the sale concept and boom he had a perfect pass and it was it was the intermediate route so it was the one that was right over the cornerback who was in the the the, the shallow zone it's like man if you are doing that, think of how many threats are in that play. The threat mm-hmm. to run, the short pass, the intermediate. You know it can throw the deep ball as well. So the stress that this player puts on defense is it was one of those plays where all the lights came on, it looked brilliant, and you go, what do you do against that? 
it's almost like if you're a defensive coordinator, you just got to go, yep, hat tip. There we go. Next play. Like, let's <laughs> move on. He he got he got us good. So I cannot remember exactly which game that that was in, but it was one of those concepts that uh, I remember watching and that I just thought, wow, he is already being put in a great place to succeed. Something Chris Ballard told me when we had him on our podcast back in November was that we feel like we know how to build around Anthony based on what we saw in 2023. If you're putting your GM hat on, what do you think that means? What, what do you think building around Anthony Richardson in 2024 looks like for the Colts? Yeah, I think that you know it, it, the, the offensive line improving the way that it did this past season, really bouncing back for that group, I think was great because obviously it all starts up front. You want to you want to get the guy uh, the appropriate amount of time. You don't want to have him panicking. You don't want him thinking he can't get his next reach. You know that progression is going to come only if the offensive line is good in front of him. And so I think that taking a, a step in the right direction there was good. You got to make sure that that's going to stay solid through free agency, through the draft, things like that. Loved the addition of Josh Downs. Uh, I, he was somebody who. I had ranked much higher than where he ended up getting drafted. I thought that he was one of the steals of day two. And I think that he showed the early signs of what he can be as a slot receiver. So I think that he is going to be a best friend, if you will, from Anthony Richardson. I'd love to see them get a tight end. You know, I know people mock it. Sometimes Brock Bowers in the first round of them. Sometimes Jatavian Sanders in the second round. But Which you did, by I the would way. Love, yeah, I would love to get them that impact tight end player because you have an X factor and an X receiver in, in Michael Pittman. You do have Alec Pierce who could stretch the field a little bit, but you know maybe you want to get another vertical threat to make sure that you're always putting stress on those deep safeties to make sure these guys can't creep down and 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 uh, and muddy up the box or or the linebacker level. But I, I do feel as though it's it, it's almost complete to what you want. Yeah, I think that a consistent vertical threat type of a player, whether that's on the roster or not. I think that 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 is still needed for this offense and kind of how I would build around them. And then, yeah, like just that solid receiving tight end option um, to always be an option there for him to go to in the passing game. So like Michael Pittman Jr. A lot, I hope he stays in Indianapolis because I'd love the connection that he and Richardson could, uh, could have there. Love the Josh Downs connection as well. Uh, obviously Jonathan Taylor's a stud, but um, I think that those two elements, the vertical threat and then the tight end threat, those are the two that are missing that I look to prioritize. Great stuff here, Trevor. Where can our listeners find your work, whether it's online or with podcasts? Yeah, everything over at pff.com when it comes to the rankings of these players. If you guys are dipping your toes in a draft season and and, and want to know kind of what the class is like, you can see that over at pff.com. You can even run your own mock drafts uh, over at the mock draft simulator that we have on the site. Uh, and then if you are a YouTube or podcast listener, NFL Stock Exchange, myself and, and Connor Rogers, we're going through everything about the NFL draft, the rankings, the mock drafts, what we're hearing, the rumors covering the combine, the pro day visits, uh, all that good stuff over on the NFL Stock Exchange channel. Awesome. Well, great stuff, Trevor. I'm sure we will see you around Indianapolis in uh, two weeks when the combine starts. The NFL calendar never sleeps, does it? No, it does not. I can't wait. It is my favorite event to go cover every single year, and I can't wait. But I appreciate you having me on the show. Thanks to Trevor Sikama. Love the guy. Obviously, Pro Football Focus does a heck of a job. What's the uh, let's give it a, let's put it this way? What's the most important takeaway from that little sit down you had with Trevor? Yeah, the the and I kind of asked him this, but just the the depth of wide receivers in this year's draft and how that might affect teams pursuing wide receivers in the off season could potentially open up more opportunities for the Colts if they decide to go down that route to get a wide receiver. 
uh, not maybe in the draft, mm -hmm. not one of those like top three guys that we talked about, but the, you know, potentially if, if a veteran is available or if free agency isn't as hot of a market for wide receivers as some people may expect, um, that could be, lead to some really interesting things in the offseason, not just here in Indianapolis, but just with player movement in general. Um, that was a really eye-opening thing that he just kind of put in perspective that like trio of guys, the Marvin Harrison Jr., right. Roma Dunze, and Malik Neighbors, how they could affect everything else when it comes to wide receiver movement. And obviously all the general managers in training around Indianapolis are, <laughs> get a receiver, get a receiver, get a 15, at 15, get a receiver. Lara, what do you think? We got this combine coming up here. We got the draft coming oh. up here. And I'm just saying this, I want a quick question all for you. Some head coaching new hires in the building. Sometimes these new head coaches get in and they go, uh, not my system, not my type of guy, not my... And they'd be gone, and veterans are gone. Does Ballard go outside of the box this year inside a veteran wide receiver before this team gets to training camp? I mean, what you can sign a veteran wide receiver? How about of, that? I mean, like, you okay, can, like you signed you, well, Isaiah McKenzie. Yeah, last not not year. that. Like, I, I'm talking about so, an established one. You're going to pay. Okay. It's going to affect your salary. Why does he cap. have to just sign him? Say acquire. I would say. Okay, acquire. Yeah. Like you're saying trade for one. Yeah. Does a veteran presence come in before this team breaks for training camp up in Westfield? A veteran you're presence. You're saying outside of one that we would resign. Outside of Michael Pittman, outside of Alec Pierce, outside of Josh Downs for that matter. I mean, I think that that's certainly a possibility. Mm -hmm. I think that I would say right now all options are on the table. Sure. That is what I'm, I'm more confident in anything than that because – what we've seen in the past when you were in a similar position, when you were in the middle of that first round, we have seen Chris make deals to get players in the building, just like when you take take a look at what they did for DeForest Buckner a few years ago. Well, and the here's the, the biggest reason why all options are on the table is that you have a quarterback in the second year of his rookie contract. Yeah. That allows you to do a lot in terms of how you build your roster that you can't do when you have a veteran quarterback who's making a market rate that – that is just the reality of the NFL and how rosters are built. It's going to be fun. We're going to find out what this Colts roster looks like in 2024. A healthy Anthony Richardson, a healthy Jonathan Taylor. And uh, after that, it's going to be up in the air because there's going to be so much twirling around. This team will not look the same. We say that every year. Obviously, some of the key components will be there. But, hey, these guys are wheeling and dealing. Yep. The combine coming up. A lot of late dinners over at St. Elmo's Steakhouse uh -huh. where the general managers get together and say, what if I send you these two guys? You send me that one guy. Stuff like that comes up. You see it down there. I know you're always looking over your shoulder to see who's who's talking to one another in the hallway yeah. at lucas oil yeah, stadium or so. or you know at prime later in the night or at prime yeah. later in the night so yeah. can't wait combine is coming up but really quick give me your closing thoughts indianapolis hosts this nba all-star game coming up this week saturday night all-star saturday night is at lucas oil stadium the all-star mm -hmm. game at gamebridge Fieldhouse. are you interested are you watching i know you used to work for the pacers so i know you got a hand in this um yeah i'll kind of i'll watch some of the events over the course of the weekend um I always think like the celebrity game is funny. You know, I'm interested in like the whole like Steph Serena battle, right? That they've got going on. Like, yeah. I think that's I'm really intriguing. Um, I, I actually, I don't know if this is like a hot take, but I actually think that some of like the dunk contest, the three point contest, uh, some of that stuff is a little more exciting than the game itself. Yeah, yeah I'm, go I'm going on Saturday night. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm excited for that. Nice. Yeah. You got to Are you going to the Lil yeah. Wayne concert? Uh, what? There's a little, like, in the little, uh, Lil Wayne has a concert. Well, my father-in-law is the one who scored the tickets, and I do not believe he <laughs> scored uh, Lil Wayne tickets. Oh, good, good. Uh, I would go see T-Pain, though. I heard T-Pain's playing here, too. A lot so. of people, and the celebrities yeah. will be overtaking downtown Indianapolis. Good for you, because I'm not going 
as of right now. I don't know if you're going to All-Star no, Saturday no, night. No, no, I want a full report next week on that yeah, because that you. would be, yeah. if, as long as I could see Shaq and Charles and Ernie Johnson over there with mm-hmm. TNT on one side, I would love to go down there and just sit and be a part of it. I won't be, but I want next week a, a good rundown. For sure. Hey, speaking of basketball, I just logged on to, uh, to Twitter mm-hmm. here, and I got a direct tweet at me from Evan Turner. Remember Evan Turner? I do. So I played baseball with him. I grew up with him. And he tweeted at me, at JJ Stankovitz, can you please tell at Andre, Andre Ogadala, and my at Point Forward team how I used to do in baseball for the District 95 Fire Department. That was our team in sixth grade. We went 15-0 that season. That is correct. Uh, Evan Turner was one of the best baseball players I've ever seen. Wait, I'm just going to say the, it on the, the sh- podcast right here. The like, shooter Ohio from Ohio State? State? Yeah. The kid who made the half quarter down yeah, at... Yeah, to beat Michigan, hit yeah. the swan. Yeah. yeah. No, great baseball player. He once stole two bases on one pitch. It was incredible. All right, Evan Turner, if you're listening, yeah. you're probably not. Big fan of the show, Evan Yeah, Turner. we're going to... Well, yeah. we got a spot for you right here. We're going to go over your 12-year-old <laughs> and find out what kind of ball player that J.J. Stankovic was. All right, guys. Combine's coming up. Super Bowl's behind us. Good things to look forward to. Appreciate the time. Thanks again to Trevor Sick- Sikamoff for sitting down with J.J. Stankovic and a lot more on the Colts Audio Network and, of course, always at Colts.com. At J.J. Stankovic on Twitter X. At Lara Overton on Twitter X. That's what I call it so everybody knows what we're talking about. And a big thank you. We are uh, brought to you today by our friend Connor, who is behind the camera today. <laughs> Connor, we appreciate fantasy. you. You literally are the ones that brought everything to everyone, and we appreciate you. Nothing in return. Okay, just a head shake. <laughs> Love you, kid. We'll see you next week right here on the official Colts podcast. <laughs>